1: Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Futurati podcast. Today, we're joined by Steve Meyer, who has a background in environmental biology and economics and who almost single handedly built a global pedicab empire. Steve, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. So I thought we would start off with this global pedicab empire business. Um, I I had no idea what that was or what any of that meant when when, when Tom pitched you to come on the show. So why don't you just begin by telling us what that is and how you came to have built an empire of this kind.
2: Well, um first of all uh this is the first time it's ever been called an empire. Um <laughs> and calling it global is also
0: a stretch, so I don't want to overstate my important role here. Um well, it is in more than one country though, so.
2: It is in more than yeah. one country. I've probably sold pedicabs to at least 15 to 20 different countries. Um the uh I think the very technology itself lends itself to be more of a cottage industry, to where being locally produced has a lot of advantages over having one company supply a global market. So there were natural limitations to my ever becoming global. although I did, and I think that that's more or less due to the internet and the fact that I was dominant in, in certain cities in the US, like the New York City. I was found early on by certain big companies that wanted to do uh, marketing campaigns using the pedicabs. So the pedicabs are not only a human Uh, transport vehicle i used to refer to them as billboards disguised as a mode of transportation so uh one of the things that really allowed our reach was the fact that they were adapted by companies like budweiser yahoo uh i i can't name all the beer companies that wrapped the pedicabs with their advertising. And they were, um, it was really successful because of its advertising.
0: Uh, so it's like a driving mini billboard then uh, going was, down the
2: street. It was a mini billboard and it's, it happened to get around on the streets. Um, its functionality as a mode of transportation allowed it to be on the streets in crowds of people. And it was uh, very memorable. It would turn heads. One advertising executive, uh, when we did an Altoids campaign in um, New York City, he was asked in a book uh, on, uh, it was called Emotional Branding, why they chose pedicabs. And he said, well, Altoids were known as curiously strong, so we thought, uh, naturally, the pedicab driver, you know, had that kind of um, mnemonic quality to them uh, that they would be um, memorable. And so um, he's—I'll quote him as saying, "The pedicabs would turn the heads of the most jaded New Yorkers." <laughs> now, this was uh, in the late '90s, and um, but it worked. I mean, it got him in a book, uh, over this campaign. And, uh, now, um, you know, they've been around in New York city for 20 years. And so it's not, um,
0: as, uh, it's not it, the novelty that it used to be. It's not the novelty.
1: <clears throat> New Yorkers have become more jaded in these, these <laughs> intervening 30 years. To, yeah. Yeah.
2: And, uh, so, um, pedicabs won't do it in that sense anymore, but, um, you know, they were great um, for advertising.
0: Yeah, so you, whenever you sell one of these, uh, I always think of this as um, in a little standalone enterprise. And lots of people that came from foreign countries would buy these, and, um, and they, they would have their own business. And this, this to them, was the American dream. Uh, can yes. you talk about that a little bit? Well, you know, Tom,
2: that's that's great. I must have told you that story of an immigrant who I had spoken to on the phone, and he um, bought a pedicab. He had been a janitor. And uh, when I went to New York City, and uh, there are hundreds of Main Street pedicabs in New York City, but I happened to see this guy on the corner in Columbus Circle, and I went up to him. Uh, just doing my informal market research and said, where'd you get this? And he goes, oh, in Colorado, there's a guy in Colorado who makes them. And um, he he's kept on pitching me for a ride. And finally I asked him his name and he goes, Mohamedou. I go, Mohamedou, I'm Steve Meyer. And his eyes light up <laughs> and he goes, Steve Meyer? And um, he, he gave me a ride down to Times Square then. And we were talking the whole way. He was so proud of himself because with that one pedicab, he had achieved the American dream. Already yeah. having his own business, it made me so proud. I have a picture of him
0: in my office. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So uh, how, how many people were using this as their full-time business or full-time job? Uh, were a lot of them or was this just part-time for them?
2: Well, it's, you know, uh, pedicabs were an early form of the gig economy. And I never, I thought that it would always remain a gig rather than a full-time thing. But I soon realized that a lot of people were doing this full-time, supporting families. um, And it became much more than I ever expected it to be. Um, But there are literally... I can safely say a couple thousand people depending on my pedicabs for their full time income.
0: Ah, okay. Um now you you also think much bigger. You think about lots of other um things about how this fits in the whole whole scheme of the whole um Kind of the hierarchy of technology, and while this is is a, a lower tech item, you're uh, you, you're also contemplating on how the the rest of the tech industry is evolving. Um, do you you want to jump off onto that topic?
2: Well, you know what we have low tech, we have high tech, uh, but there's also appropriate technology, and there was a book written when I was. Uh, in graduate school in the 70s maybe it was written earlier than that and i only read it then by e f schumacher uh, talking about appropriate technology and i kind of uh, was really drawn to this because i thought it was so appropriate once you can build a pedicab that doesn't blow out when two guys sit in it um It became apparent to me that there's a real niche in the urban marketplace uh, for this modality. Um, Yet, you know, for various reasons, it was excluded. Um, As an urban planner, one of the things that really used to drive me crazy was planning for all of the parking that was needed to accommodate cars and uh, at great expense. Um, And I remember giving a presentation one time thinking what they need is a car that would just arrive at its destination and then go on without needing to park. And of course they had such a car at the time. It's called a taxi. But you couldn't start a taxi business because of the um, lobbying that was done by taxi companies that in the time I was in New York and started the business in New York City, a taxi medallion cost a million dollars. The cost to operate one cab got up to
0: that point. Yeah, but it was quicker to get across town in a pedicab, right?
2: It was quicker to get across town in a pedicab. And the, the Discovery Channel had an environmental program and they had a section in it called the Eco Smackdown. And we had a race between a taxi and a pedicab in New York City, and the, and the pedicab won. Yeah. Uh, of course, we didn't take anybody to JFK Airport or LaGuardia. We just took, as long as you included a crosstown segment to the trip in Midtown Manhattan, I mean, it was mostly, you know, it was a, a trip that was less than 10 minutes long. Um, then the pedicab would do well on a short term, uh, a short haul like that.
0: So, so you ran into several cities that would uh, kind of fight you on having pedicabs inside the city. Right. Uh, yeah. It, and that was mainly because of the, the taxi uh, lobby. I,
2: I would say that it's mostly because of the taxi lobby and the established. Business interests at the time. I mean, horse-drawn carriages also gave us a little bit of a uh, obstacle. So, to, so uh, this business
1: is a hundred years old. Then,
2: <laughs> well, well, the the, the the horse-drawn carriages are there, um, you know, as an amusement ride in cities, but they're all over. I mean, and you know, but they're licensed by the city, and uh, they also have medallions like. You know, a horse-drawn carriage medallion uh, or permit in New York City is very valuable. It's, it's a property right, basically, uh, just like a medallion is. And so they appreciate in value and can be sold. Uh, so to so what,
0: what cities were the toughest for you to get in then?
2: Well, I remember um, the next city I tried to get into after Denver was madison wisconsin and it was only because i knew somebody there who was interested in doing it and the city had a city council hearing and actually i had met uh because i was on a pedicab and he walked up and said hey this is a great idea uh dennis weaver and i don't remember you know remember him he used to have a it was a tv character called mcleod
0: oh yes yeah
2: and um and so he was an environmentalist. He lived in Ridgeway and had uh, an Earthship type house built. And was an, uh, at the time, this was in 1995, um, well enough known that even getting him to write a letter on my behalf would help persuade the city of Madison to allow these. So that was the second place. In New York City, it's kind of funny because... We knew that, uh, I think we approached the city uh, early on and they go, get out of here. You know, we don't, there's nothing on the books, you know, petty cab, cab, you know, and we were (laughs) dismissed. And so we thought, oh, well, I guess if it's not illegal, it must be legal. (laughs) It took 10 years for them to realize, what are these guys doing here? Who are these guys? I have a a clip from CNN that's real funny, and um, I I could show it to you uh, sometime. Um, We got up to 600 pedicabs in New York City before they started, even became aware that, hey, what are you guys doing? Um, And by then we were firmly established, we had already been on The Apprentice. Um, we were on the first season of The Apprentice. I had been on uh, David Letterman. I had been on uh, the, um, not me personally, my pedicab. So right. I speak, <laughs> I, I go a lot of places identified as I, but it's only my pedicab. Um, on Conan O'Brien, he did a segment on pedicabs. And um, so we had been all around before the city finally thought, what is going on here? And then they tried to get rid of us. And uh, Mayor Bloomberg vetoed the legislation that would have been the demise of the pedicab industry in New York City. And um, he was famously opposed to the taxi industry because they were always trying to issue more medallions, uh, but they couldn't um, because um Hey, they were worth so much money. I mean, I think anybody who has any economic common sense realizes that a million dollars for the right to run a taxi cab is too much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The ludicrous. fares must be a lot better than I thought they were to make, it, yeah, to, to make that. Yeah, that's ludicrous. Yeah.
2: Well, and and unfortunately, people would invest in taxi medallions, and then when Uber came along these people were unfortunately jumping off bridges because they lost a lot of money i mean a, a taxi medallion no longer is worth a million dollars right and people right. lost a lot of money right but not because of the pedicabs because of uber
0: yeah so uh, now you you ran into problems like in las vegas and some of the other
2: oh yeah las vegas ran into problems and so my business in Las Vegas was inside of a huge shopping center. But even there, they tried to um, curtail us in a way. Or, I mean, the, my first encounter within days was with the union, um, you know, that unionized pedicab or that unionized taxi drivers. Yeah, and um, so we weren't members of the union. Um, then the the pedicabs, not mine, but quick like little imitations made out of bicycles, quickly spilled over to the strip, and because they didn't charge but only asked for tips, um, it it was questionable whether they were even a business. And so it took about a year for them to curtail that. Officially, and get them kicked off the strip. Okay. And so I never operated a pedicab business on the strip. Um, But, you know, one can look at Las Vegas and see this interplay between economic interests and technology. I mean, where is one area that the monorail does not go
0: in Las Vegas? Well, it doesn't go anywhere anymore because it just filed bankruptcy, so. Oh, the monorail did. Well, it didn't go to the airport. I mean,
2: if you were going to build a monorail anywhere and have it be successful, wouldn't you connect the airport? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what it did not do. And so you know that there are powerful economic interests at play when you can't make that happen. Yeah. monorail to the airport.
0: Yeah, Elon Musk just uh, uh, scaled up his plans for the tunneling system in Las Vegas. Now that the, mo- the monorail filed bankruptcy, so um, that all just happened in the last couple of days here. Um, wow! Yeah, well, that's interesting. so so yeah, you could uh, you could probably uh, create a business hauling tunneling guys around uh, with your pedicabs.
2: Uh-huh. Well, maybe I'll make a pedal truck so that they can run it inside the tunnel as a m- little maintenance vehicle.
0: There you go. Yeah, that could work. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Underground pedicabs.
0: So, so talk about some of the variations that have come along over the time with your your pedicabs.
2: Well, I mean, um, the first obvious uh, iteration of something new was a pedal truck because people would call me wanting a pedicab. But then when I talked about it with them, they wanted it for something other than carrying people. So uh, I think it was early on that I made a pedal truck uh, for the recycling center at the University of Colorado. So they pedaled it around campus and collected their recyclables. So uh, businesses with a better have an environmental mission, uh, nothing spoke more to that than being a bicycle, being a pedal powered vehicle. It's It speaks for itself in terms of its environmental merit. And uh, so we did a lot of uh, pedal trucks for uh, university campuses. So it uh, it's interesting the marketing of this because usually you get in, to something um, like that and they they kind of market in themselves in these niches i remember telling we got a call one time i guess it was for the boulder public library and we made a a pedal truck for the library kind of a little bookmobile and i said to one of my employees i go watch we don't even have to put this on our website we will get other calls from libraries relatively quickly to build similar vehicles and sure enough they kind of i think it speaks to the how effective they are in marketing in that we didn't even have to market they kind of market themselves through the stickers we put on them with our website
0: yeah very cool
2: and we would get more business
0: yeah you want you want to talk about the call you got from google uh yeah
2: well i fortunately i had been uh work in my office one Sunday afternoon and I answered the phone and um it was from San Francisco and this guy had just ridden a pedicab and uh I didn't know right away that it was an engineer from Google and he goes well we can you make some of these we um want to put big cameras on them and pedal them around areas where cars can't go to take pictures of the street view. So we made street view trikes for Google. And I love these pictures. Uh, They have one going down the Amazon River on top of a boat. And every time they got to a little village, they would pedal it around the village. Uh, They have one in Australia at the Taronga Zoo in Sydney. Uh, they pedaled them around zoos. They peddled them around campuses. They took one north of the Arctic Circle. Uh, they took one to the I, I think it's called Island Saint Michel or something off of the coast of France. Oh yeah. So they took them to a lot of pedestrian areas where there aren't cars. They took it around Rome um, on a lot of the streets. So they we made uh, a lot of them for Google. And they took them on a lot of places um, and made a lot of videos. So you can go on to uh, Google, look up street view trike, and see where they all went. I mean, there's a, a great one that I have a video of, of them pedaling it in front of Stonehenge. Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> so they took them to all these areas. They're very easy to ship around. Uh, compared to a car, I guess. So they would ship them everywhere. They're in Switzerland. They're in South Africa for World Cup soccer. They would pedal them around and take pictures in all these stadiums.
0: So this became kind of a mashup between uh, high-tech and low-tech, uh, the lower-tech bicycle combined with the high-tech cameras and surveillance. And, and uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's quite, quite the fascinating uh, journey you've been on here.
2: Yeah, it, it was fun working with this engineering company in California. To, we had to have the exact radius of the wheels because that goes into <laughs> calibrating, you know, where the vehicle is along with their GPS, I guess. Um, they they were very uh, interested in knowing exactly the circumference of the wheel.
0: Oh, okay. So that, that could, then they could kind of melt... Uh kind of measure uh where they were at at any given time then
2: right i think that that was integrated into the uh into their locating
0: yeah so so how do you think moving forward how does this fit into the uh the world in the post-covid world i mean you're obviously kind of um, I, I'm using this this word recalibration as kind of the the big word for 2021, and because we're all right. having to recalibrate our thinking, our, our kind of our personal life, our business life, our our governments, all of that. So, um, have you given a lot of thought to that?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, um, we were uh, in retrospect too dependent on the pedicab aspect and the and the mobility of people with this and the pedicabs has made a lot of money um you know in downtown areas and densely populated areas uh where parking is difficult um so it you when the, they don't have bars that are open if they don't have restaurants that are open if they don't have professional sports with attendees going there in massive crowds. And, uh, you know, these were even used in parking lots because people can't even park within walking distance in a parking lot. Right. uh, And, and get to these events. So every event was impacted by this. Every event everywhere was impacted by this. I couldn't think of anything that would do a more direct hit on the industry as a whole, than the COVID thing. And even in March, we were building vehicles frantically getting ready for the concert season. It starts off with Coachella. Um, and people, I was worried about getting all the vehicles done in time for the people who wanted to have them at Coachella and kaboom. I didn't see it coming. And so um, I even warned my daughter, who is planning a trip to Japan, like, Really? You're going to Japan? For some reason, I didn't put two and two together to think, Oh, this whole concert season is going to be disrupted in the United States. Yeah. Um, So, anyway, post COVID, obviously, I've learned lessons. Um, We're diversifying our product. I think the fact that um they're closing streets in cities to accommodate restaurants Um, so a lot of this ties into what when we go back to normal are we going back to a, a traffic jammed street in a a popular urban area i mean one of the greatest things for me I loved seeing the transformation of New York city when they closed Broadway through times square. That's an amazing
1: thing for me to see how a city evolves like that. Could, could you talk a l- I, I'm not familiar with that event. So I don't know what you mean well, when you say transform.
2: So, so one of the things I, I pointed out in the little um, resume I sent you that um, I worked a lot with developers and one Developer who I love, um, she's noted for making developments around place, placemaking. So, placemaking is a term in urban development. And she told me the other day that she has me listed in her little Rolodex under placemaking, you know, as somebody (laughs) that she can talk to about that. So, Times Square used to be a place where if you stepped on the, if you would step off the sidewalk, there would be this cacophony of horns, you know, driving you back into your appropriate place as a pedestrian on the sidewalk because being off the sidewalk into the street, that was the domain for cars. But people couldn't even fit on the sidewalks. I mean, it was incredible how crowded the sidewalks were. So the urban planner for um, a transportation planner under Bloomberg. Her name was uh, Jeanette Sadiq Khan. And she got it uh, passed that they would close Broadway through Times Square. So all the squares in New York are where Broadway crosses an avenue. And so I think it's Broadway crossing 7th Avenue uh, formed Times Square. And you knew you had all these cars everywhere. And uh, the people were you know, confined at the sidewalks. So she, cro- she closed uh, you know two or three blocks of Broadway as it crossed Seventh Avenue and made it into an, a pedestrian space where they had tables and people could gather. And I think that um, uh, I even remember uh, you know when the Pe- Pearl Street Mall was closed in Boulder, it was controversial. Like, how can you take away the street and the parking in front of my store and allow it to be used only for pedestrians. Well, like any real estate owner has now realized, it was a great uh, benefit to their real estate values to do that, to draw the people. Um, And so um, I kind of got off on this topic of uh, placemaking. and. to tell you the truth. I don't know how I got here in the conversation, but, um,
0: well, you were talking about it, how you closed out, they closed down Broadway in New York city. Oh, okay. Right
2: so I think more street closures are going to be beneficial to pedestrians. Cause the only people who get into pedicabs and these light electric vehicles that I'm now making are people who, um, you know, walking uh, are pedestrians. I mean, uh, they, there have to be a lot of pedestrians to make a uh, this kind of business work. I mean, we, we're in intermediate mode between being a pedestrian and being in a um, motor vehicle, a car. And when you think of the uh, urban, um, the mix of modes of transportation in an urban area, they're relatively few. You have walking, you have bicycles maybe, And then you have cars. So there's a huge spectrum of need in between what we now think of as a bicycle, a two wheel uh, pedal powered vehicle and a car. Uh, I think cars are way overbuilt for most of what they're used for in an urban area. The very fact that the taxi industry got on our case, we are bicycles. We are classified as bicycles. And the fact that we're challenged by the car industry, in a sense, uh, as to uh, competing with them is a compliment to me. (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah, so I'm sure that uh, with all of the talk about autonomous transportation, that that you have a separate division that's working on autonomous pedicabs. Is that correct? (laughs) <laughs>
2: no, because to be a pedicab, you have to be pedal-powered. So I'd have to actually create a robot that would drive the pedals. <laughs> and so it's really interesting what defines a bicycle. So a tricycle is, falls under the same classification as a bicycle. But what it distinguishes them is that they're pedal-powered. They can be a human-powered vehicle. And so uh, they're act- even though it's called a bicycle, the classification is not defined by the number of wheels. So you can see bicycles all over the place, hauling these little kid trailers. So those have, that's a vehicle with four wheels, but it's still considered a bicycle. Okay. And so there's, um, so now with uh, electric assist, you know, I kind of compare myself to Elon Musk, although I'm not nearly as famous, but, (laughs) he put an electric motor in a car, but it's still a car. And actually one would argue uh, with range anxiety and things like that, it's still has some problems of being as a car. But when you put an electric assist motor on a bicycle, it's way more than a bicycle. I mean, 750 watt motor is what's allowed to be on a bicycle and have it still be classified as a bicycle that's like putting lance armstrong on your bike for an extra you know five or ten pounds you have lance armstrong helping you at 750 watts that's probably his peak output uh is 750 watts
0: and that's when he was on drugs right and that's what Drugged that's Lance up, Lance. drugs on drugs.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lance. I mean, <laughs> I need to bring that up again. Um, but, um, you know, so you have these vehicles that are now uh, enhanced in helping fill in this niche that I was saying existed between a bicycle and a car. Now that the bicycles are expanding their uh role in the um, in the urban transportation ecosystem you okay. know you have to almost invent new words for this
0: well th- yeah the the whole post covid world is actually forcing us to rethink everything and um and Rethink you know everything about family life and and retail in our cities and our downtown areas and how we want to spend time and and when everything was closed down, people would go out walking. I mean they'd like to go out and enjoy the outdoors and uh, and that was uh, people probably got more acquainted with the environment and the walking and hiking trails around cities much more than ever in the past. Right. And, and so that's, that's changed their perspective on the communities that they're living in. And I, th- I think that um, that could create an opening for you. It could create an opening for lots of other op- opportunities as well. Um, we, we do have more miles of biking and hiking trails in Colorado than any other state in the U.S. Wow. Um, and that's because uh, the, the money from the, the lotto money actually is dedicated to go to biking and hiking trails um, so so anyway that it it uh, uh i i think we're going to have a whole lot of new opportunities coming out of the woodwork here um, that we we never considered in the past
2: I think so i mean you know it, when um uh you know that there's Uh, a lot of expansion in the roles of of these vehicles, everything from delivery to, um, you know, nursing homes now have some uh, just to take people for a ride around the lake. I mean, um, you know, the, uh, when you think of who uses these, I mean, if you have a group of people and just one of them is mobility impaired, let's say grandma is coming along, everybody will hop into a pedicab. And now the pedicabs can haul six passengers. I mean, with electric assist, you can haul more weight, um, and, uh, it's still a bicycle. So we now, I have a lot more interest in in six passenger, uh, vehicles that we're making and um, they're popular now because instead of serving as taxis they're almost serving as entertainment uh, venues in downtown a lot of people are going on tours Um, they can't go to a dinner and dine inside Um, they just go on a light tour right now in downtown Denver
0: so if you put a jet engine on a bicycle is it still a bicycle then No,
2: no, it's not (laughs) the uh, parameters of a bicycle. Um,
1: But, uh,
2: you know, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with there being, uh, obviously, there have to be uh, guidelines, you know, to have everybody uh, doing things within, um, within an agreeable system. You know, and so I'm fine not having jet engines in my uh, you know bag of tricks.
0: I can't pull
2: one out and put one on there.
0: All right. Well, you've uh, you've actually uh, seen kind of the evolution of the industry, uh, how how it took off from just selling your very first pedicab to uh, selling tons of them around the world. Um, uh, so where where do you go from here then?
2: Well, I mean, it, it's an, a really interesting time. I mean, um, you know, there's, there's so many different things I can do. Um, so I don't own any more uh, operations that are actually... I don't manage any more fleets of pedicabs in any cities. So I'm strictly into... Um, manufacturing at this point, but I can manufacture uh, a broad variety of vehicles and make custom vehicles. I can concentrate on one um, type of vehicle, like a vending vehicle, vending carts, you know, coffee carts. Um, So they they need mobility, uh, this kind of mobility. Um, I can try to vertically integrate by making the vehicle and also like franchising uh, the businesses that use that particular kind of vehicle, Um, I can empower other people to actually manufacture the vehicles because, um, like I said, it's a cottage industry. It's very hard to protect the intellectual property um, for this industry. And so I might as well just empower other people to make them. In some ways, I'm kind of getting towards the end of the road myself, uh, career-wise. And uh, I just want to see the industry continue on and evolve. And uh, I want to see, I think that the main thing I want to see is to go down in urban areas like in front of the Crawford Hotel in downtown Denver, and instead of seeing pedicabs, I want to see flower trikes and delivery trikes and coffee trikes and a lot of entrepreneurs uh, using a vehicle and and just starting out. Uh, Tom, it's great that you recognize the entrepreneurial aspect of this. Everybody has to start somewhere, and you know, for less than $10,000 in most cases, you can start a business like this and be in business. Yeah, And I've seen people start and become very successful having just bought one pedicab.
0: Yeah, with uh, all the changes in the retail world, um, retail's evolving more from um, being all about the place that uh, the storefront is in to, to going where the people are. And so, as we can make these transitions, having a mobile storefront um, gives you lots of additional capabilities, and uh, I, th- I think that's uh, encouraging. I uh, I would love to see more of that happening.
2: Yeah, I would too. I mean, you know, you can move around to different opportunities. Uh, you can go to the skate park and kid all the kids at the skate park. Then, when they have all the candy they want, then you move over to another part of town and sell them, uh, you know, snacks and water or whatever. I think that uh, I like to see that decentralized entrepreneurship uh, where, you know, it's this guy who has the American dream of having his own business. I love being a part of that.
1: Yeah. So I am curious as to your motivations for some of the statements you've made. You said that you want to go down to urban areas and see delivery trikes and coffee trikes and flower trikes. What does a city get when pedicabs come to town and proliferate and become more popular? How does it change the place?
2: Well, it it gets uh, people with a vested interest in the street ecology. Um, You know, going back to certain things, I don't know if you remember in Times Square, there was a guy who pulled up in a car and um, it was going to blow up. The person who recognized that and called the police was a street vendor. I think street vendors are very important on the street. It's part of that, uh, ecosystem. That is kind of sterilized in a lot of our, um, over on the car. I mean, streets are a public space. And yet, uh, because a car is so big and so powerful and dominant, it drives out all of the other uh, richness of the street. And, you know, then a lot of people think, well, it's unfair for a food vendor to be on the street, whereas if I'm a brick-and-mortar restaurant, I'm forced to have a bathroom, I'm forced to, you know, Uh, have a lot of other expenses and and this guy's out in front of my store selling food. Well, uh, there are a lot of issues like that that have to be addressed. But what creates an interesting place? What creates a rich urban environment? I think uh, these vehicles really animate the streets. Like you said, it would turn the, or I said, (laughs) it would turn the head of the most jaded New Yorkers why is that it's it's adding life it's adding interest that's important in the urban uh scene and we these are going to be more important than ever because the urban scene has been disrupted and i think that there's a real opportunity now to fill it with a more uh rich mix of uh vehicles and activities People like activities on the street. Streets are our are, are common area.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that the brick and mortar retailers miss when they complain about the food trucks out front is that it brings people in. And so if there's more foot traffic, more people who want to go there for other reasons, then right. there's an increased probability that they'll stumble upon your shop and buy things at your place.
2: Exactly. You know, and I think, you know, having, um, you know, I. I used to say, you know, people who developed, uh, um, you know, suburban malls way back in the day, you know, when, when there was some argument about closing a public street and making a mall out of it, I said, look, the private sector has recognized this from the very beginning. You don't see cars driving through the middle of a suburban shopping center. They mix it up with kiosks. They mix it up with a lot of things, to make it an interesting human environment. They exclude the cars entirely. I don't think we need to exclude cars. I'm not anti-car. I just think we need a richer street scene. You know, I used to have some slides in giving presentations, and you know, it's the, how, what a street is. And, um, and Tom, I know you're an engineer and I'm not coming down on engineers, but if you can picture the Los Angeles River going through Los Angeles, it's a big concrete canal. That's, in the minds of some people, how you make a better river in an urban area. And by some metrics, it is better. It can make water flow unimpeded straight through the city and get out to the ocean. and it. If that's the only function of a river, it probably does it better than a natural river. But you show anybody a picture of a natural river, and they, they want to sit by that river, and they, that river is more appealing. Now, take that same scene to a, a street. If it's strictly engineered to move traffic, then uh, that's what a lot of our streets look like, is Los Angeles River. But if it's to be alive and be an appealing place for people, you have to incorporate a lot more into it than just um, moving traffic through the city. And unfortunately, that's the main metric that's used on a lot of streets is how fast traffic moves through the city. But the, the street is a lot more important for a lot of other functions than just moving cars through. It's where people interact. It's where commerce takes place. And so we have a lot more to do in, in our engineering of streets. It's more of an e, you an know, understanding the ecology of a street.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of interest there. So communities tend to form these organic holes. And there are often many interacting parts And the importance of any individual one is very hard to pinpoint or to quantify. And what sometimes happens is engineers will pave right through all that in order to optimize for some metric, not realizing they're killing everything that kind of made it a worthwhile place to be in the, in, you know, in the beginning. And so I, I was hoping that we could spend some time on that and what you said earlier with respect to placemaking and what kind of makes communities, what makes, uh, a neighborhood that you want to visit, that you want to live in, that you want to be a part of, and that you care about?
2: Well, I, I want to say, first off, there's a lot better spokespeople for that than myself. But I've long been interested in exactly what that is. And I, I take notice of some, certain songs, like there's a song by The Beatles called Penny Lane. And it's about a street. And it's about the characters on the street, the fireman with the Mac and the, the woman pushing the baby in the stroller and, you know, the store shopkeepers and stuff. You know, my company is called Main Street Pedicabs. Not, we were, have never been located on Main Street. It's Main Street because conceptually that's where community life is in our towns across america and it's the opposite of wall street it's not the financialization of commerce it's the real commerce is on main street and unfortunately i don't want to see that lost i want to see there always be a main street that has little shops that are owned by their proprietors that are not chains that are not the same, I don't want every Main Street in America to be the same carbon copy Main Street. I want to see it be like a little uh, entrepreneurial uh, lagoon where a lot of these new ideas are are popping up. Some of them are dying down, but it's a rich ecosystem of ideas. You know, uh, I lived in Boulder for a long time, and um, I lived in downtown Boulder. There is a block in Boulder, which amazes me at the number of businesses that were born there. And it's on East Pearl Street. And uh, it was a great place. And it it was off the mall. But there were a lot of businesses that got their start on little shops just along that street. And um, I think that we need that all the ideas cannot come from the top down. A lot of ideas have to bubble up from Main Street-type environments.
0: So it was around, I don't know, three or four years ago, I was in Melbourne, Australia, and um, and you, you and I were talking back and forth at that time, and you arranged for me to take a pedicab ride around Melbourne. And that... That was such a revealing ride around town because I got to see a different side of the city. Uh, the pedicab driver took me around in places where there was graffiti all over the walls. There was <coughs> uh, different art exhibits, and and I got to see a different uh, see the city through a different lens than I would have uh, just riding around in a car. Um, we were going through back alleys. We we're doing all kinds of crazy things and getting stuck and having to turn around and go backwards. I I enjoyed every every second of it. That was uh, uh, to me that was very revealing how different it was a uh, pedicab experience like that than than actually being in a car. Um, uh, so so that I. I I really think people are are selling their city short if they don't have that type of experience incorporated into it.
2: I agree. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you, you could go both Thank ways. So
1: it, it, it could be that you're selling your city short if you don't engage with it in that way. But also just the presence of pedicabs gives rise to these little streets that – are not replicated anywhere else on earth where it's just, it's impossible to find a carbon copy of this exact thing happening. And I think that's very interesting because communities and cities are shaped a lot by their transportation pathways. Like the way you navigate that space will determine the interaction that you have with it, because there are lots of things that will happen when you're walking through a community and you do so on a regular basis, which you just, you can't get if you're driving around in a cab or in a car, like you you know, chance conversations you overhear, you see a flyer on a telephone pole and you go to a lecture and you, you know, you meet the researcher and track down their research, their papers and it gives you ideas for things. There's a serendipity that's really, really difficult to engineer in any other way, except for to let it grow, to, to till the soil and to plant the seeds and let them go from there. Right.
2: I think so too.
0: Yeah. So it's much more of kind of a, this natural layer of things. And, and yeah, the, 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 I don't know it's just a, it gives you a whole different perspective on a, on a city when you see it uh, through the lens of a pedicap <laughs> uh, uh, and I think if you don't have those, I think you're missing a lot
1: Well you're grounded in a more literal sense right First of all, somebody is actually pedaling you around. It's much slower you I you don't have the option of going 90 miles an hour because we can't put jet engines on them as, as we've already covered <laughs> and, and you're just seeing things at a more leisurely pace. I, I don't do you talk to the person who Likes you around. Is that something you do as well? Oh
2: yeah. No. So so you're having a
1: conversation with a person who goes through this area all the time.
2: The human interaction is really important. I mean, the, the good pedicab drivers are very personable. Um, uh, well, let me ask you when they do have autonomous cars, how much are you ever going to tip the robot? I mean, nothing. (laughs) Uh, these guys, a lot of them can just, you ask them how much and they'll go, get in, pay me whatever you want at the end. Literally a lot of places and people will, will sell their rides like that. They know is all they have to do is get you in the cab. And we are a tipping culture and I like being a tipping culture and, um, they will do great. Um, because they love the interaction of, um, of the people, I think that as as we become more technological in a way, there will be increasing appeal for pedicabs to have the personal interaction with somebody. I don't think, yeah, the autonomous cars are gonna, they're gonna operate out of the airport. You will never find a pedicab waiting in the taxi queue along with the autonomous cars at the airport. That is a prediction I can safely make. But once you get into town where people are milling around looking for that experience, uh, we're going to do great because um, that's what a pedicab is. It's a transportation
0: experience. And people are longing for that. I, I definitely agree. Um, well, we're, we're coming up to the end of all of this. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, Steve, how do they go about uh, getting in touch with you?
2: Well, the easiest way is to email me. And my email address is info, I-N-F-O, at pedicab.com. That's P-E-D-I-C-A-B.com. And, and what, uh, also-
0: what website would they go to?
2: Uh, pedicab.com. P-E-D-I-C-A-B.com. Okay. And we also have a website called pedaltruck.com. P-E-D-A-L-T-R-U-C-K.com. Pedaltruck.
1: Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Steve.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you for having me.
0: All right. This has been a, been great fun. Thanks, Steve.
2: Okay. Good night, Tom. We'll see you.